Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of debt, Neil Garfield. Greetings from coast to coast. Hello, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, thanks to listeners like you who contribute regularly or occasionally to the Living Lies blog. If what we're doing has value for you, then please go to the donate button on the home page at www dot living lies dot me or www dot living lies dot wordpress dot com in most cases nobody's there but that doesn't stop lawyers for foreclosure mills from arguing as though the house is crowded and it doesn't stop judges from believing them the banks have mastered the art of deception using smoke and mirrors to make you believe that there's something or someone there. But things are so cloudy that you start relying on the banks to tell you what you're seeing. That's when we start to make assumptions against our self-interest or against the interest of our clients as lawyers. The message of this program is start at the beginning, the very beginning, and take absolutely nothing for granted, zero, no matter what words are written on a printed page, no no matter what words are spoken over a phone by some representative or lawyer of a service of some uh, company that pretends to be a servicer. I'll get into that. Don't believe it because it's probably false. No matter what you think is true, if your loan is subject to claims of securitization, and that's not always obvious, although many times it is now, if your loan is subject to claims of securitization, the most likely thing is that everything that has ever been said about your loan is false. And certainly, everything that is now being said to you about your loan is false. That includes the people, the places, the companies, everything. In many, if not most cases, the only real person you will ever meet is the lawyer working for the foreclosure mill or your own lawyer. 
Everything else is BS. And that's the reason <clears throat> that I'm once again turning my attention to the possibility of RICO, racketeering claims. They're difficult to plead and prove, but it seems to me that RICO best explains what the banks have been doing. <clears throat> In some cases, you have to hammer home the fact that the lawyers for the foreclosure mill have not presented a legal person. <clears throat> now, that seems impossible to most people. Excuse me, I'm dealing with allergies here. <clears throat> okay. So, the lawyer for the foreclosure mill has not presented a legal person. Now, that sounds crazy. After all, they went to court, they filed a claim, or they issued instructions to a so-called trustee on a deed of trust. There must be somebody there, right? Not really. The person that is possessed of a claim is somebody who is willing to submit to the jurisdiction of a court. I repeat that. The person who has a claim is someone who is willing to submit to the jurisdiction of the court. If you look closely at all these foreclosure actions, you're going to find that in almost every case, there is no such party. There's not a living human person, and there's no legal entity that has actually been submitted to the court's jurisdiction or could be submitted to the court's jurisdiction because it doesn't exist. The court can't rule. It's not allowed to rule for or against a lawyer who has no client. This is not the court of chancery in Bleak House by Dickens where lawyers get to argue motions when nobody knows or cares what the case is about, after generations and generations of litigation locked behind obscure motions and legal argument. But this sometimes feels that way. In most cases, none of the notices, pleadings, or motions, or memoranda are filed on behalf of an actual legal person. A legal person is either a normal human being like you and me, or a legally recognized fictional person, like a corporation or a trust. When a lawyer files it, the court naturally presumes he has a client, which is almost always true, even in these cases. But whether his client has actually presented itself individually on its own behalf to the jurisdiction of the court is an entirely different matter. And whether his client is even mentioned as the claimant or a part of the claimant's name is also a different matter. Sounds crazy, right? In many cases where the title of the claimant is XYZ Bank as trustee, that means XYZ Bank is not submitting itself in its individual capacity to the jurisdiction of the court. It is only submitting the trust to the jurisdictional to the jurisdiction of the court. Well, 
Okay, so it's submitting the trust to the jurisdiction of the court. That would mean that the trust exists, and then it would further mean that your loan has been entrusted to XYZ Bank to hold in trust for that trust for the beneficiaries, who incidentally are not the investors. But in most cases, the claim is not brought just by XYZ Bank as trustee. In most cases, where there's a remit trust involved or implied to exist or be part of the proceedings, it really isn't. In most cases, it is XYZ Bank as trustee for, and look at the wording carefully, that's why I say start at the very beginning, as trustee for the certificates, which means nothing, or the certificate holders. That means XYZ Bank is appearing for unnamed, unidentified certificate holders based upon their rights, which might be set forth in unnamed, unidentified certificates. Now, if you or I were to file a complaint like that, the judge would not only throw us out, we'd probably be sanctioned with fees and fines. For In foreclosures, it doesn't work that way. It is never the case that the lawyers for the foreclosure bill will attach or even respond to inquiries about what is in the certificates. And the reason for that is simply because the certificates do not convey any right, title, or interest to any debt, note, or mortgage. No, the owners of those certificates cannot collect and do not collect from borrowers. They never do. And the proceeds of foreclosure are not paid to them either because the investors, the owners of the certificates, the certificate holders, do not own the debt because that certificate did not convey the debt to them, didn't convey the note or the mortgage either. So only the owners of the debt are legally entitled to the proceeds of a foreclosure sale. Well, who's that? Well, that theoretically is not your problem, but it is your problem because in the absence of somebody else claiming that they, it is they who are entitled to payment, your arguments that there must be somebody else fall on very cynical, skeptical reluctant ears of a judge. Most importantly, the owners of the certificates are not beneficiaries under any trust agreement. That's right. Certificate holders are not beneficiaries. They are creditors. Now, I'll say this again. You're going to be dealing with a judge that doesn't want to hear it. But that doesn't mean you can't force the issue. And the cases that, that are won and can be won are won because lawyers or even pro se litigants have pushed the case 
to the point where the judge had to rule, and then because he had to rule, he had to look at the basis of his ruling or her ruling and suddenly say, wait a minute, I can't do that. And that's when the cases are decided for the homeowner. And that's what you need to do. Whether you're a lawyer or you are a homeowner, that's what you need to do. You need to push this. And though there may be an actual trust agreement in existence, it's never shown to you. And you say, oh, yeah, it is, it is. The PSA, the pooling and servicing agreement. Well, that's not a trust agreement. And it's not the trust agreement. The real trust agreement, they're hiding from you, but you can get it in discovery. There is a document called a trust agreement, and it's not the same as the pooling and service agreement. And the real trust agreement defines the duties of XYZ Bank, not as trustee, but merely to hold bare naked title to any written instruments it receives for the benefit of, wait for it, the securities brokerage firm that started the securitization scheme. It does not hold title to any written instruments for the benefit of the holders of the certificates or any other parties. And frankly, it's not even entitled to hold the, the title to the written instruments, but that's a whole other story beyond the scope of this program. So the only beneficiary, if the trust legally exists at all, is the investment bank. So what do we have left? Who does the court have under its jurisdiction? Well, they have the homeowners who have been served with process, okay. But the court doesn't have the bank. It doesn't have the certificates. And it doesn't have the certificate holders under its jurisdiction because they are not legally presented. They're not even identified in the case of the certificates or the certificate holders. Well, maybe the trust, but the action is not brought for the trust. If you look closely, it's brought for the certificate holders, or it may say the certificates, and the certificate holders could be implied from that, but not necessarily. That's another argument that's beyond this program. As it turns out, neither the trust nor the investors own the debt because neither one of them paid for the debt in exchange for ownership of the debt. So the trust might be subject to jurisdiction if it exists, but the court lacks then subject matter jurisdiction because the trust doesn't own the debt. So either way, the court lacks jurisdiction. And since it is merely a, a naked nominee like MERS, it doesn't have any substantive rights. Nor does it ever receive payments by any borrower, nor does it receive any proceeds of foreclosure sales so you might ask, why is the trust named? 
and the reason the trust is named is that it's a mirror, it's a smoking mirror that the the banks and the servicers and the lawyers and a number of other vendors hide behind. Accept nothing at face value because none of these claims have any face value. <coughs> Remember that no trust legally exists unless assets have been entrusted to the named trustee with the power to administer the affairs of the trust. If it doesn't have affairs, if it doesn't have assets, it is not a trust. The fact that a trust agreement exists on paper does not mean anything has been entrusted to a trust. People involved in estate planning all understand that. Sometimes they go out and they create a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust. And in their minds, that's all they have to do. And then they find out later, after somebody dies, that they never moved formally moved assets like their home or their securities accounts or their bank accounts into the name of the trust or the trustee. And as a result, the trust was nothing. It did not legally exist. So no remic trust does that. No remic trust has uh, sets forth any power on behalf of the trustee to manage any active affairs of any trust because they're not meant to do that. It could, but it doesn't. It even should if securitization was being done legally, but it doesn't. So any pleadings filed by the foreclosure mill should be struck because they're not filed on behalf of any legal person or at least not one that derives title to the debt from its payment for the debt. Therefore, no such motions or pleadings or memoranda should be considered by any court because there is no legal entity that has status as a claimant and no legal entity that has claimed it is submitting itself to the jurisdiction of the court. The fact that a court makes the mistake of not seeing this at the beginning does not mean the court can confer jurisdiction over the subject matter when it never had jurisdiction over the people because the plaintiff side or the claimant side, whether it's bankruptcy court or deed of trust or whatever, beneficiary, is not actually present. There's a bunch of words up there, but they're not describing anyone, not a legal person. So... The bank is not consented to being under the jurisdiction of the court, either on its own behalf, nor as an authorized representative of any other legal person. It says it's representing the certificates or the certificate owners, but it doesn't identify them, nor does it even tell you under what authority it could represent them. Because if they're not beneficiaries, it can't be the trust agreement that allows the trustee to represent the interests of creditors of the trust. 
They've neither alleged nor submitted any declaration or affidavit that asserts ownership, agency, or authority over the subject debt by the bank on its own behalf or as trustee or by the certificates or the holders of those certificates. That's a statement which I'm constantly making in my analyses because it's true. There's no allegation of that. And there's no document that says that. And there's no facially valid document from which you could even presume those facts. And yet, they argue that the assumption is valid and the judges are accepting the assumption as though it was legally based on something. But it isn't. Your jurisdictional point is that while the lawyers are arguing as though there was a party who submitted itself to the jurisdiction of the court, there is no such party. There's no plaintiff. There's no beneficiary. There's no claimant to bankruptcy. If opposing counsel contests this assertion, then you simply invite them to assert the identity of the legal person on whose behalf the claim is being made. In the absence of such an allegation, the court has no authority or jurisdiction to entertain any pleadings, motions, memoranda, or other filings from that party or their attorney. In fact, the other attorney is, as we say, without portfolio. So, force the issue in discovery and in motions, force them to try to make, force them to be, and even have them ordered to declare the identity of the legal person on whose behalf this action or claim is brought. Not just the identity, but identifying characteristics like a human being, their address, or a business entity, their address organized and existing under the laws of the state of what jurisdiction? They won't do it because this is all premised on no liability, no risk to them if they lose, all profit if they gain because they're not paying anyone who paid value and they, they're therefore, these intermediaries are taking this money and keeping it. So it's revenue to them. And they never pay anyone who paid value for the debt. People are prone to making assumptions and that's what Wall Street banks are counting on. It's just human nature. But as I've stated dozens of times since 2006, don't be fooled by appearances. And don't even be fooled by the context. The big banks had the power and exercised the power to manipulate our perception of the context of real estate transactions, including purchasing and lending. They pressured the real estate and closing agents in the market 
and the appraisers, etc., to abandon centuries-old practices of relying on valid, original signed contracts and valid, uh, comparable documents or sales or whatever. And they went off the reservation, and we had the Big Bang that was the 2008 recession, the Great Recession. So that was my first clue and teaser to look more closely what was going on. When I asked for the original of the contract, we were told it doesn't work that way. My answer was, yes, it does. That is the only way it works. This was the banks forcing people to accept a false reality using digital copies instead of originals, and that's what opened the door to selling the same loan data over and over again, even though they were not selling the debt, and even though some people thought they were buying the debt, because the investment banks didn't own the debt. My last clue was revealed in various investigations, including my own, that showed Aquin and other legal entities claimed to be servicers when, in fact, they were not. They had, in some cases, never been servicers, even though mail was directed to them. The entire operations are frequently controlled and commanded by central operations at Black Knight or in some other cases by similar entities. A change in servicer under that scenario is merely a change in the login and password in the same database. In virtually every case, we have the testimony that the payment records of Aquin are business records of the owner of the debt. This swerves around the hearsay rule that such records are inadmissible as not credible or reliable. It's a lie that the Aquin records are business records of the owner of the debt. In fact, it's a lie that they are Aquin's records. So I had occasion to have an exchange with a number of people, one in particular, where he went through a number of assumptions that he was making. He started off with the Remake Trust was set up in 2006. Well, I said, I don't think so. The documents may have been drafted, but in many cases they were never even executed. The elements of a legal existing trust are a trust agreement, a legal person as trustee, a race, which is a thing in the trust, and beneficiaries for whom the, the race or thing is being administered according to the terms of the trust agreement. You'll find that in the Remick Trust, neither the name trustee nor the trust has ever entered into an agreement where payment was made for the debt or ever received any right title or interest in any debt note or mortgage from any person who paid value for the debt in exchange for ownership of the debt. So when they say the bankster is the trustee, 
just because somebody's called a doctor doesn't mean that they're a physician or they received a doctorate degree, but somebody might call them doctor. Somebody might be called a trustee, but that doesn't make them a trustee. It's an honorary label in exchange for a royalty. Those banks are not trustees, but labeling them as trustees creates an illusion needed by the banks. The thought that the trust issues certificates to securities underwriters is not true. First of all, the trust doesn't really exist because it's completely an expression of the investment bank. And there are there is no issuance because the certificates are not printed. And the big error made by most people is the thought that after taking their underwriting fees, the underwriters remit the net proceeds to warehouse lenders or aggregators or lenders or whatever. And this is definitely not true. It's a big mistake made by many who are studying but have not completed their study of securitization. The fact is that only part of the money received from investors has ever been used to loan money. So knock, knock, nobody's home. Homeowners are losing their homes to ghosts, but they don't have to. You litigate properly, and you go to the mat to the very end, you have a high possibility, probability of success. See you next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to N-E-I-L-F-G-A-R-F-I-E-L-D at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.